0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, church. I want to welcome you that are here, if you're visiting, or if you're joining us online. Welcome in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may His peace be upon you this morning. I heard from uh, a little birdie, before service started, that we have a birthday. Nancy McCurdy, is it your birthday? Nancy, raise your hand. Can we sing you happy birthday? Good, because you don't have a choice. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Nancy happy birthday to you nancy we celebrate your life and we're thankful for you and we're thankful for your whole family lord bless you you should have received an email uh, regarding elder selection or elder nomination we are kind of we are in the process and we've begun the process of nominating uh, bringing forth names in the congregation uh, to be considered to, to be a shepherd of this con- congregation. And so you should have received an email that has a link for an e-form to where you can nominate, you can put forth names for the process of elder selection. So we want to remind you of that, for you to be prayerful about that and to think about who God by his spirit is leading, is already working in and leading Uh, to become a shepherd and to serve in that role. We here at the Springs are a church, a community of faith, that's being transformed to the image of Christ so that anyone can find their way to God. And we do that in three ways. By gathering in the name of the Father, by growing into his image, and by going by the power of the Spirit. As this year we talk about gathering in unity, we're in Philippians where we're looking and thinking about having one mind, one spirit, one mind, and one love. So if you join me, Philippians three, twelve, twenty-one, 21. And I'll read and just listen. It says, therefore, dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only my presence, sorry, we're in Philippians 3 it's okay sorry Philippians 3 12 through 14 it says this just listen it won't be up on the screen Could take that down we're going to talk about humility again today and this is the perfect way to start am I right? <laughs> Uh, you did say it best. We are not a perfect church. We're imperfect. So listen to this. Just listen. Not that I've already obtained all of this. Or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, and this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of these things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Joining together and f- following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have, you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I often told you before now, and I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, too, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Let's pray. God, as always, we give you thanks. We thank you for your word. For your word is our life. God, I pray for ears to hear. I pray for hearts that will follow. God, I pray that we have the humility to obey. God, as always, I ask the gifts for the gift of preaching. For it's in your son's name we pray, the one who emptied himself of you that you raised from the dead and gave him all the glory. It's in his exalted name that we pray. Amen. So I had a teammate in Uganda that went out to the village one day and as was the normal uh, custom of the day or in Uganda, when he got there, they would offer him something to eat and drink as he was a visitor. And so it was in the morning that he went And they made some tea for him, which was normal. And they also uh, made some eggs. Probably something like an omelet in the village. And then they kind of left him alone to eat. And what he noticed was that being in the village, he was sitting fairly close to animals. Lots of animals around. And uh, of course, what do animals do on a farm or in a village? They go to the bathroom, wherever they're standing. And I feel like since Brett was able to talk about, you know, uh, dung last week, I've got to have a story. I've got to match up. Come on, I've got to, we're going to talk about this. So my, my teammate was a little bit uh, type A personality, and he noticed that, uh, well, what, 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 what does both food and dung attract? Flies. Thank you very much. The flies. So, of course, being a lot of both around, both food and cow feces around, there was a lot of flies. And what he noticed was that more and more flies were coming, and the flies would go from the cow poop to the egg. Back to the cow poop, to the egg, to the cow poop. And he was just like, oh my gosh. And he finally lost it. And he said, do you know why everyone is so sick around here? Now, he really did lose it, right? (laughs) Because normally he wouldn't, this is not my friend's personality, Right? He kind of goes off on them. Do you know why everybody is so sick here? It's because the flies are going from the poop to the egg and back. And he so then he went and took a big branch and he broke it off. And he was, boom, hitting flies. And he said, every time I swung, I swear I killed 20 flies. And it became such a spectacle that everyone, everyone that was around started gathering around him, watching This American swat all of these flies, and they're just sitting there laughing like you are. Until one of the very old men in the village said out loud what everyone was thinking as they're laughing. He said, Does that white guy really think he's going to kill all the flies? And my friend understood what he said and he just kind of lowered his head in humility and then started hitting the flies again. (laughs) Does he really think he's going to kill all the flies? They were laughing because it was ironic. He's going after all these flies. And they're laughing at him thinking, is he really gonna, does he really think he can do that? Our text, verse 12 through 14, it says this. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do forgetting what is behind, and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. We read this, we've read this text all our lives, but I don't think, or at least I haven't recognized the irony of Paul's words. If you've been paying attention in our sermon series, or even to what Brett preached last week, there's great irony because Basically, the whole book of Philippians says, right, it's about honor and it's about shame. And there's achieved honor, that which I do to achieve some honor, and there's ascribed honor, that which God ascribes on me that I cannot achieve. And what's ironic about this whole thing is that Paul is using all kinds of language of achieving, obtaining, winning, taking hold of, seizing. These are all achieving words. Do you hear that irony? Does he really think he's going to kill all those flies? It's as if he says this. Not that I've already taken hold of Christ and his righteousness or have arrived at my goal at Christ's humility and obedience, but I pursue, I press on, I strive for, I go after, I work to take hold of that which is Christ has taken hold of me. And we can go back and look earlier what is the thing that he thinks he can take hold of? Well, Philippians 3, 8-11 says this, it says, what is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Oh, how I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. So this is why he says, I haven't retained this. But he says, not that I've already taken hold of Christ and his righteousness, have arrived at my goal of Christ and humility and obedience, but I pursue this, I work at it, I strive towards it. But what's interesting, to get a little nerdy, and I think you have to know something to know the irony of this, that in this text, there are no objects, especially in this first part, there are no objects of the verb when it's written in Greek. We kind of fill in the blanks, like translators fill in the blanks. So for example, there is no this. So not that I've already obtained all this. He doesn't list the this. He says, not that I've already obtained there is no uh, goal or that I've already arrived at my goal. There is no, that word's not in there, goal. Not that I've already arrived. But I press on to take hold of that. There is no that. Through the whole verse, this is about taking seizing, but what's interesting is that there is no thing, there is no status, there is no state, there is nothing to be seized, except, of course, Paul himself, who has been seized by Christ. Paul is pretty crafty with his words here. He's using this language of attaining, seizing, grasping, all of these things, but what's ironic about the text is there is no object to seize, that he is the object, and it's Christ who seized him. It's a play on words. So, there is no item or state or status that we can seize. The only thing to be taken or seized is us by Christ. So he says, I don't consider that I've taken hold of it as if I could, that's the irony. I don't consider that I've taken hold of it as if I really could. But I press on, I strain towards the goal as if I can. Do you hear the irony in that? I don't consider myself taking hold of the thing as if I could really do that. But I actually go and press on and try to take hold as if I could, as if I can actually do this. Then he uses this athletic metaphor, which again is ironic because the whole book has been about, you don't achieve this. This honor is ascribed unto you. Do you see Jesus? He humbled himself. He didn't try to achieve equality with God, something to be grasped, something to be seized. But he humbled himself and God exalted him. This is what God does. And he chooses the athletic metaphor because in athletics, you go and achieve. You go and win. You go and beat them. Congratulations to all you OHSU and OU fans. Well done, nicely achieved. If there is something that I can really take hold of, how can I claim that I've taken hold of it? The prize which we're trying to seize, trying to win, it's this call towards this, the call of Jesus Christ in heaven, it's the call of heaven and Jesus. How do you seize a call? Like literally, I know we can seize, but how do you seize a call? It's like trying to catch sound in a bottle. If it is Christ that I'm trying to take hold of, how do you seize Christ? The one exalted above all. If it is righteousness, how do I seize that on my own? I cannot. If it is the resurrection, how do I achieve the resurrection? I don't know anybody that can achieve that. If it is the glory of Christ, in which he is exalted in the heaven, how do I achieve that? You cannot. If it is humility to which I am called, how do I achieve humility? Do you hear the irony in that? Look how humble I am. Do you hear that? How do you achieve humility? Like as if that's something to grab, like hold on to, to say, look, Moses was the most humble man that ever lived. I am so humble. Do You hear the irony in that? Yet there's one thing Paul says we are to do. Don't look back to what we have done, but look ahead to Christ, his life, his humility, his obedience, and go for it even though you know you can't. Live into the reality that God has already created in Jesus Christ. Can my friend kill all the flies in the world? No. But he's going to try like he can Do You see the irony? I, I can't in any other way. feel like, Ben, how does this work? I don't know. You cannot do it but yet you're to live as if you can. In other words, God has already ascribed, he's already made this possible, he's already brought this reality into the world, so you and I are to go and live into that reality. Not that you can achieve that reality or make it come true, but we go and we live that way. I work to achieve because... I've been a scribe something. I live into the reality of Christ. So it looks like this, that we love people even though you know, and I know, you can never love anybody perfectly. You're never gonna achieve that perfect love. But you live as if you can. Does that make sense? It doesn't, really. (laughs) You consider others better than yourself even though we know that's almost impossible all the time. Because if you're honest, you're like, wait a minute, Ben, you can do that. If you're honest, have you always considered others better than yourself? I don't know if you can do it, but it doesn't mean you can't go for that. Or it's like this. Can we go evangelize the whole world? Will everyone become a Christian? hard to imagine. I don't know if I can achieve that. I don't know if that can be done. But does it doesn't mean you go and live into that reality. Announce God, this is what God's done. This is what I'm living into here. That you go and obey even though you know you cannot be perfect. You live into the reality that God has already established. You strive for humility even though you know you cannot be truly humble. And then he does something funny. He says in verse 15 and 16, Paul says, Now all of us then who are mature... So take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we've already attained. Now, that that word mature is the same word as to finish, to complete, to take hold of. It's, It's like the same words he's using above. It's all that achieving, seizing language, right? So what you gotta hear is this. It's like Paul is saying, okay, all of us then who are a mature. You know how we do that? Like, okay, as if all of us are really mature. Because actually the people in here that have wisdom and knowledge and have lived a long time and are mature and actually act mature, they know down deep they're only mature. Mature. They don't have it all together. And they, even though they have tons of wisdom, they know they don't know everything. In fact, the more you know, right? The old adage, the more you know, the more you know what you don't know. (laughs) Am I right? It's like when you open one door, there's three more doors. And you open one of those, and there's six more. And you're like, whew wow, this is what it's like journeying with God. Mature is this noun form of arrived, attained, reach. And all of us who are mature, all of us who are finished, all of us who are perfect, ha, ha, ha. That's what Paul's doing. He's kind of playing on words, and he says, so all of us that are mature, mature, We should all think the same. In other words, we should all press on to this goal. We should always be working together towards these things that we know we can never perfect. We can never achieve. And he says, if you think differently, if you think you know something that makes you mature, if you think that you have knowledge which shows that you have arrived, and by the way, this is what his opponents think. They think they have some special knowledge Have arrived. I know. That they have revealed knowledge which makes them complete or mature. He says, oh yeah. If you think God has revealed something to you that you're mature, God will reveal that you have not arrived. Just wait, God will reveal to you that you have not arrived and that you should press on to the ethic of humility. He's being ironic here. Those of you that think you've got it and arrived, that you think you know something, that they have something, some special revelation, you understand God or his word or you know so much, don't worry. God will reveal that to you too, that you should press on like the rest of us towards humility. There's something called, I think this is, this is, this is we should understand this, There's something called epistemic humility. Epistemology is like knowing what you know, right? We should have some humility about what we know. It doesn't mean you can't know. It doesn't mean the truth is not known. You should hold firm to the truth. But we shouldn't hold firm to something like Paul says, this is the ethic. You think the ethic is holding firm to something ideal or something that makes you righteous or good or right that, doesn't, that then it doesn't make you respond to your neighbor or someone else in the appropriate way. You ever had that happen? Isn't this what every church split is about? You lived long enough, you've experienced some church split, people arguing over things, and not that these things aren't important. but he's saying, listen, here's the knowledge that's being revealed to you in Jesus Christ. That he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He humbled himself. This is the ethic. When I was in high school, I was in, I was in honor science, which makes me think I'm a scientist, naturally. But I'm not a scientist. So But I have a lot of scientific friends. Now I'm speaking for scientists because I think I'm a scientist because I was pretty good science. But here's what I know about science and all my scientific friends will probably correct me after I'm done. But scientists are pretty sure about what they know. Right, they depend on those things, right? They depend on the laws of physics. They depend on all of these things that they've discovered about the world and know to be true but what a good scientist also knows is that they hold those things loosely because they know science over time. We used to think the world was flat. Now we know the world is round. It doesn't mean that scientists go, we can't know anything. Of course they can know lots of things. I'm looking at my friend Amanda, you know lots of things. But you have to be open to the fact that you don't know everything. That a true scientist has some humility about what they know. It doesn't mean they don't hold on tightly to what they know. But imagine where the world would be if the early, early, early scientists just held on to exactly what they knew at the time. Where we'd be in terms of technology and medicine, healthcare, all the things that benefit our lives. God has revealed something. And you can know what's true. But to have humility, have humility. And that's what we call transformation. Can you imagine, no one would ever become a Christian without some kind of humility of their knowledge. The very nature of conversion, the very nature of conversion is to hold that loose enough to where, oh God, this is what you're doing. And I wanna argue, not that, not that we shouldn't hold on to the truth But the Christians, they don't hold on to it so much that they hold on to it for themselves, the exclusion. There's some humility. This is what it means to live by faith. You believe in this person, Jesus Christ. And you trust him. He says, let us live up to what we've already attained. This word, to live up. Equals means hold fast. It's actually a technical term used in a military context because one of the things in Philippi is that it was a Roman colony where a lot of retired Roman soldiers would settle and have settled. So he uses this word on purpose and he says let's live up to what we've already attained or hold fast is the term that's used in battle to say to move in battle together in formation. Staying together, moving together, Here's what Paul's, he's drawing on this. He's saying staying together and moving together. This equals victory. But if you think you can go do something on your own or have some knowledge that you think and you go on off on your own and the the group splits up and does this, he goes, that is a sure way to lose. We've been talking about humility. Humility allows us to stay together. Allows us to, to be unified. Be humble. Stick together. And the only way to stick together is to be humble. But he says in verse 17, Joining together and following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who do live as we do. For as I has often said and told you, Before, and I tell you now with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destruction, their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we may be like his glorious body. He says, follow our example in humility, as we follow Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, he humbled himself and he became obedient even to death on the cross. So hearing that, that is ringing in their minds. He says, "There are enemies of the cross, and this is what he means by that. Enemies of the cross are enemies. of Of that statement that I just read. Enemies of the cross are the ones that are against this idea. That Jesus Christ did not uh, consider equality with God something to be grasped. But made himself nothing. Taking on the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. They are trying to achieve honor on their own. They are not humble. Therefore they are not obedient. Paul says. What they aspire to attain, they cannot achieve because they lack humility. So, he says their destiny equals their destruction. They work to achieve, but what they're doing is they're just tearing it all down. They work to build up, but they're just tearing it all down. Their God is their stomach. They think they're trying to please God, but they're only pleasing themselves. That's what he's saying their glory is their shame. They think they are achieving what is honorable in God's sight, but that they think they have to achieve it, that is shameful. Do you hear that irony? They think they are achieving what is honorable in God's sight, but that they think they have to achieve it, that's actually shameful. And Paul says, this is how the world thinks. It's not just how people like the righteous, the the, the self-righteous people in church. He goes, this is actually how how the world thinks. Pride is how the world acts. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And I think he's playing off these words that Roman soldiers who have an ethic and who have an honor have taken up citizenship in this Roman colony of Philippi, but Paul says that heaven is the mother city, heaven is the city or the colony to which we are to take up residence and to live by that ethic and by that honor and that ethic and that honor in the heavenly city is humility. And the honor of this city Is only ascribed by God to the humble. And so he says this here's how we're to press on to take hold of the prize to achieve which that cannot be achieved, to achieve the thing which cannot be achieved. He says, We eagerly await a Savior from heaven, Jesus Christ who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under control, all the honor given by God, will transform our lowly bodies, our humility, so that we will be like his glorious body, obtaining honor that is found only in Jesus Christ. This is the prize. This, according to Paul, is salvation. You stand, give honor to God.